me again to Philippians chapter 3. Amen. Philippians, the third chapter. And, um, amen. Lower that microphone stand. It looks like a parrot sitting on my shoulder on the video. Amen. So it's like, what is that? <laughs> I make myself a note, and it, I've only remembered it twice. So anyway, no, you're good, brother. Amen. Yes, sir. The older fellows know about Winter Jam, too. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's a, it's a, great, a great event for sure, for sure, for sure. Amen. Philippians chapter 3. And this has become um, our go-to text, at least for the beginning of 2018. And um, as we have in the past been led by the Holy Spirit to a specific text, and then we go back to it time and time again, building upon it, expounding from it. And that's for that's strategic, amen. And um, among the strategic reasons is I want you to become very, very familiar um, with these verses. Praise God. All right, Philippians chapter three, verse seven. It says, "But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ." Now, if I could please verse number 8 from the Amplified. It says, Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding Him more fully and clearly, for his sake I have lost everything and considered all to be mere rubbish, refuse, dregs, in order that I may win, gain Christ, the anointed one. Now, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here when he says gaining Christ and knowing Christ, he's referring to a relationship with him. And that is again, expounded or amplified here in verse 8 from the Amplified Version, where it speaks of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him. Progressively becoming more, more intimately, deeply and intimately acquainted with Him. Last week we talked about how a relationship can progress between two people. And in the same way that a relationship can progress between two individuals, your relationship with Jesus can also progress along those same lines. And the Bible even talks about that in different places. But we said that, as is the case with any relationship, it begins with an introduction. And through that introduction, you become acquainted with a person. And then if that relationship grows, what will happen is you will share more of your life with that individual and that individual will share more of their life with you. And again, that comes in degrees. Um, in, in other words, the more of yourself you're willing to share with another person and the more that person is willing to share with you, then the, the, the more personal and, and the deeper that relationship will become. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. We, um, 
obviously know about him from the Bible and, and, and you know, different things that we've heard. But there comes a point where you meet him. There comes a point where you uh, receive him, if you will, uh, through salvation. And, of course, so many wonderful things happen inwardly in a person at that moment of salvation. But we see from there, we now have the foundation, we now have the access, we now have the ability to allow Him into more and more of our lives. And, of course, He's welcoming you and inviting you into more and more of His life and His existence. Now, the extent to which that develops depends entirely upon you. Now, if we're talking about a relationship between two people, it depends equally upon both individuals. In other words, you know, if, if you want to, let's say you want to be, you know, close friends with somebody who's not interested in being close friends with you. You're willing to, you know, share more and more of yourself and your life and your time with them, but they're not interested in sharing any more of their lifetime and self with you. Well, then the relationship is going to basically stagnate at that point, all right? But when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, He has already given Himself entirely. He has, he has already invited you and welcomed you in. He's held nothing back. So the idea then is, you know, we're as close to Him as our desires will allow us to be because it really does boil down to how much of our lives we want to share with Him, how much of our lives we want to welcome Him into, invite Him into, and allow Him to be a part of. And so again, in our relationship with Him, the development or the progression of the relationship depends entirely upon us because He's already given everything where we are concerned. We'll talk about that more, if not today, maybe uh, tonight. But I'm just trying to give you a, a, a bigger picture here uh, as we fill in some of these blanks uh, moving along. So what I've noticed even in the way people talk about their relationship with God changes as their relationship with Him progresses. So for instance, you know, we, we talk about being born again and, and getting saved. Um, and then as the relationship develops, we talk about God in terms of having Him in our lives. Amen. I'm so thankful to have God in my life. And, and, and we talk about Him like that. And that's not, I'm not making light of that. I'm not diminishing that. That's, that's obviously important. Um, the question I think we need to keep asking ourselves is, how much of Him are we allowing in our lives? Or let me say it another way, how much do we have of Him in our lives? And how can we have more? In other words, how can we make more room for Him? What I've discovered in my own life is He will take every inch you give Him. Every, every door you open in your life to Him to let Him in, He will come in and He will make that part of your life better. Um, relationships, raising children, your finances. See, a lot of times we, you know, we like to keep certain things for ourselves. We like to keep control of those things ourselves and not turn them over to Him. And we mentioned a moment ago about His mercy. Aren't you thankful that He still loves us? Aren't you thankful? Come on now, how about this one? The Bible says that He's faithful to me and to you even when we're not faithful to Him. Wow, thank God for that. Amen. And so, among other things this morning, I want 
the Holy Spirit to help us to begin to see how ridiculous it is for us to try to exclude Him or keep Him out of different parts and, and, and aspects of our lives. But again, He's patient with us. We're growing. Amen. And, and He's not pushy. In other words, he's, he's not going to force you to have a closer relationship than you're willing to have, than your desires will allow you to have right now. But I'm sure most, if not all of us in here, if you're connecting with what I'm saying this morning, can relate to this. When you finally do let Him into that area of your life that you've been excluding Him from, more than likely, you know, very early in that, you're going to say something to the effect of, what in the world was I thinking? What took me so long? Why did I wait so long to let Him into this part of my life? Amen. So any area of your life, let, allow Him to have first place in your marriage. Allow Him to have first place in your finances. Allow Him to have first place in the decisions that you make concerning raising your children and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and even your own life and your career and, and these kinds of things. It's amazing how when we open up those areas of our lives to Him and, and allow Him to come in, share that part of ourselves with Him, how much better He makes it. Remember, He said this, knowing what was ahead, knowing what was to come. He said this all the way back in the Gospel of John, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now he already knew that through the new birth he was going to abide in us. Amen? So the question is not about him abiding in us. He's done that. He's waiting now for you and me to make our home in him. For us to again open up more and more of our hearts and lives to him. So we then go from having God in our lives to Him literally becoming our life. That's the next step. In other words, where everything in your life revolves around Him and not you. Everything in your life is focused on Him and, and, and who He is and what He has for you as opposed to what you can come up with yourself. And so Colossians 3 says that He is our life. Acts 17 says we live and move and have our being in Him. And then Ephesians 3, from the Weiss translation, verse 17, it says this, that Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts through faith. That He might settle down and be completely at home. I heard, uh, um, it's a book that uh, Pam she, uh, she saw it, my Pam, Miss Pam, Pam Winslet, and we've got lots of Pams, amen. So, um, and it's not like she's done this very often in all of our years together, all of our decades together, but she saw a book called The Jesus Manifesto, and she said, um, she told me later about it, she goes, I really feel like you need to read that book. It just, it just seemed like something that, that you would really enjoy and connect with. And this was like on a Monday or a Tuesday and it was either that Wednesday or the next Wednesday, um, Sister Michelle Heights walked into a staff meeting at the Foundry, and she said, Pastor Mark, I just felt led to buy you this book. I really feel like you need to read this book. And she handed me Jesus' Manifesto. Well, you know, amen. I'm not necessarily the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I realized God was saying something to me, right? And so I read the book, then I listened to the book, and now I'm listening to it again and really, it's, it's just a call to the body of Christ to get back to what we're talking about right now, what this thing's all about in the first place, and that's Jesus. 
And he, he used, I don't know, it's two authors, uh, Viola and Sweet are their last names. And so I don't know which one of them said it or I'd give them credit for it. But the book, Jesus Manifesto, uses this expression, we have a live-in relationship with the Lord. A live-in relationship. Amen. Now, in our day and age, that you know, could obviously be misinterpreted, someone living together before they're married. But even if that's the case, when somebody lives with you, when you live with another person under the same roof, that is a completely different relationship, a completely different relationship dynamic than any other relationship in your life, a live-in relationship. And that's the kind of relationship that we have with the Lord. Now, some people aren't comfortable with that yet. Are you guess what I'm saying here? In other words, some people like to go see God at church and then go home and do their own thing at their house. But we have a live-in relationship with Him. In other words, He lives inside of you. He abides in you. So the cry, the call to you and me from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God is for us to now abide in Him. For us to respond to His dwelling in us with our efforts to now dwell in Him. And that's what he's talking about here in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts through faith. And so we said this, another way of, of trying to help you view or picture or, or see the progression, this progressive relationship that, that the Apostle Paul had made his determined purpose, is you can progress in a relationship from someone you just meet to someone that you are comfortable around. You understand that if, if you're in the presence of someone having a meal with someone for the first time, you may not be very settled or very comfortable with them. But as the relationship progresses, at some point, it would become a relationship where you are very comfortable in that person's presence. Amen? But there's, again, a third category. And this is when the relationship becomes so close that you are uncomfortable if that person is not around. Are you seeing that, right? So you go from just meeting somebody, not really comfortable with them, but as the relationship progresses, you become very comfortable with them. And then it becomes such a close relationship that you're not comfortable if they're not around. Amen. I just kind of won't let that marinate for a moment. Amen. Because this is the kind of relationship that the Apostle Paul was referring to. Now, you're going to hear me say this in different ways. Okay, And we've still got a lot to develop where this part of this is concerned. But I want to I make sure, because the Apostle Paul later on in these verses, he doesn't use the word relationship, he uses the word fellowship. Fellowship, okay? Now, I have a relationship with Regions Bank. You understand what I'm saying here? In other words... I, <laughs> I don't have lunch with Regions Bank, but I have a relationship with them. So the word relationship can mean many different things to many different people. And the word relationship can, can be something very vague if, if we're not careful. Brother Donald Bauer and I were having a conversation about this a couple of Sunday nights ago. So to say that we have a relationship with God from the perspective of creator and creation, every human being on planet earth has a relationship with God, kind of like I have a relationship with Regions Bank. But it's not the same as being born again. It's not the same 
as, as Him dwelling in you. Remember, He came to His own, His own received Him not, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become sons and daughters of God. It's very easy to say of all humanity, we're all God's children. In one sense, that's correct in the sense that He created all humanity. But in another sense, that's not correct because you are not born of Him unless you have received the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see how the word fellowship fits here with you meeting somebody, you becoming more and more progressively comfortable with that person to the point that you become uncomfortable if that person is not present or close or you have contact with them, right? You know, you, maybe somebody that you're very close to is going on a trip, you know, and you're like, get all emotional, leave them at the airport or something like that. And you, we, we usually say something like, all you got to do is call me. You know, there's two ladies at the foundry that have, have become very, very close. And um, I, I tease them about uh, being Laverne and Shirley. And they're funny like that. They play off of each other. And, uh, and one of these sisters is going third phase. And it's, I mean, it's the relationship, again, it's one that now, third phase means she's going back home, right? She's leaving. She's not going to be staying at the foundry anymore. And, and her dear friend now is not comfortable with her not being around. It's a beautiful thing. It's a godly thing, right? And she was crying on Friday, saying, on Thursday, saying bye. And she says, we can FaceTime tomorrow, right? In other words, technology now means you can look at each other and talk to each other. But we know that's not the same. It's not the same as being in someone's presence. Am I right about this? You understand what I'm saying here? We can FaceTime tomorrow, but it's still not the same as having that person right there with you. I think sometimes we like to FaceTime with God. We, we, like to, we like to keep Him in that, you know, cloud where we talk to Him in the clouds instead of having Him right here with us. Man, I want you to become so comfortable in His presence and with His presence being with you wherever you go, that should there be a situation where you don't sense His presence, you begin to feel uncomfortable. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So, this idea of a relationship, we, we can't allow, you know, saying that I have a relationship with God, we, we have to be careful with that because that can be very vague. What he longs for from us is that intimacy, that fellowship, that, that oneness that he paid such a high price for us to have. Now, if this seems a bit disjointed this morning, I apologize in advance. I'm just, there are some key things that I'm trying to get built and established so that we can move on to some other stuff. And so I want to draw your attention then again back to what Paul is saying here in Philippians 3. And what we see is that he's having to make some choices. He's, he is having to evaluate his life. He's evaluating what he's doing, where he's spending his time, where he's spending his money, things that he once considered to be very precious things that he once considered to be very important, very valuable, things that he couldn't live without. He's now evaluating those things, not based upon whether they're good or bad, right or wrong, but whether or not they're adding to or taking away from his determined purpose 
to grow progressively, deeply, and more intimately in this relationship with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This has now become his priority, so to speak. This has become his singular focus. This has become the main driving force in his life. The reason for his existence is to know Jesus. And so everything else in his life has to be evaluated, assessed, based upon this one important goal or what he's going to call later the prize in life. The prize in life. The prize in life is not success. The prize in life is not, you know, uh, accomplishing all these things where people recognize you as being a good person or so forth and so on. Paul understood that the prize, the, the highest prize was a progressive personal, intimate relationship, fellowship, oneness with Jesus, both vitally as well as legally. Something that he didn't just have because of the new birth, but something that he enjoyed and experienced day in and day out, moment by moment even, of his life. Now, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices lest he gain an advantage over us. Are you still with me this morning? We are not ignorant of the devil's devices lest he gain an advantage over us. I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but you have an enemy. If you believe in God, you have to believe in the devil because the God you believe in says the devil exists. And what we also see about the enemy, about Satan, the devil, is that he is opposed to you because of who you are and because of what you mean to his arch enemy, um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You were created in the image and likeness of God. You were made to be like God. You were made to sit with God. You were made uh, to know Him. And Lucifer did not have those advantages, and he became extremely jealous of you when God created you. His rebellion was not so much against God, but as it was against God's plan to create you and me in a position that would be superior to Him. And He rebelled against that. And when He rebelled, He fell from heaven like lightning. Are you still with me? Some of you looking at me a little strange. Amen. It's in the Bible, I promise you. So what we see of this enemy is that he is a strategist. In other words, he is developing schemes against you and me right now. I'm not trying to scare you, but to be ignorant of this, again, is to be at a disadvantage. He's not afraid to play the long game. Do you understand what I mean by long game? In other words, he'll, he'll chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away at things sometimes for years and then jerk the rug out from under you at the least opportune time. Amen. Let you think you're getting away with it when you're not. Amen or oh me, he'll let you think you're getting away with it when you're not. Build in a case, build in this, build in that. And then when you least expect it, it crashes down. So he, he is a strategist. The Bible says the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. And that we can't be ignorant of what he's trying to use against us because ignorance on our part equals an advantage on his part. Now, one of the key devices that Satan uses against us is to manipulate our focus, efforts, and energies, in other words, our life, on things that are not important and do not matter, 
while simultaneously we ignore the things that are important and do matter. You ever heard the expression majoring on the minors? What we might call priorities. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It just, it, he just keeps prompting me to say this. All right, remember now. He can't kick down the front door of your life and mess it up without your cooperation. He is a defeated devil. I don't know, it's been almost 20 years ago when Lee Jones called him an archangel wannabe, and I've always thought of that. I mean, at his highest, he was only an archangel. He wasn't God. But everything that made him an archangel was stripped off of him and away from him, and he fell like lightning to the earth. And the Bible says when the sons of men finally see him for what he really is, they'll wag their heads in amazement. And say things like, he's the one that caused all the problems. He's the one that messed up the nations. He's the one that wouldn't let the captives go. He is a smoke and mirrors devil. There are techniques in combat, and I'm just walking out on something that I know very little bit about, but there are, there are ways of, of combat, I think it may be like in martial arts, Where's John Smith when I need him? What's the one, John, where you use the weight of the other person and the aggression of the other person against them? What's that called? Off balance. But in, anyway, but the idea is a smaller guy can defeat a bigger guy because he uses the strength of the bigger guy against him. Yes? That's, that's basically at the heart of all of the enemy's strategies to manipulate who and what you are against yourself. To get you to use these vital characteristics that you possess because you were created in the image and likeness of God. For instance, your ability to speak. Death and life's in the power of your tongue. So the devil's going to try to manipulate what you say to use your own words against you. It's just a classic example. You follow what I'm saying? This, this is important. So we have to understand then his strategies because all of his strategies are going to have that element. All of, this, all of his strategies are going to be to somehow manipulate or entice you to use what you have against yourself and, of course, against other people as well. So... The devil loves to distract us. He loves to get us drawn away by our own lusts, by our own desires. And the next thing you know, we have made things a priority in our lives, given importance to things that are really, at the end of the day, not that important at all. Paul talked about his growth and maturity in Christ, and he said that when he was a child, he spoke like a child because he understood like a child because he thought like a child. But when he became a man, he put away childish things. I often say that more than half the battle is recognizing it. 
It's one thing to be childish and not know you are. It's another thing to be childish and recognize your childishness. Because once you recognize it, once your eyes are open to it, now you're in a position to say, hey, Father, I, I need some help with this area of my life. I, I have a problem with gossip and I have a problem with judgment. I have a problem, you know. But see, the, the, the challenge is when we, when we don't see it, when we don't know it. And remember, you've got to own it for you can disown it. So Paul was talking about a time in his life where he, I'm sure while he was living as a child, he thought he was a man among men. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? He was living like a child, but, but while he was caught up in that, he didn't realize that he was being childish. So this is where you say, well, it sounds like we're stuck like Chuck then. We are unless the Holy Spirit helps us. And how do we get the Holy Spirit to help us? By humbling ourselves. By saying, Father, look, you know, obviously there's some things that need to be corrected in my life. Maybe you know some of those things right now. Maybe you don't. If you'll ask him, he'll show you. But I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul was doing. He was taking inventory. He was going through all these different things that he had committed himself to, all these things he was involved in, all of these things that he was devoting major amounts of time, effort, energy, and resources to. And, and he was evaluating these things. Please hear me this morning. Your growth, my growth, our growth in the life God has for us is dependent upon our ability to recognize the difference between what is important and what is not. I call it progress when we start realizing there's probably something more important I could be doing with my time right now. Now again, let me show you what kind of punk the devil is. He'll distract you your whole life and wait until you're helpless laying in a, in a hospital bed somewhere and then all of a sudden pull the blinders back when you can't do anything about it and torment you with all the things you should have done. All the people you should have helped. The time you should have spent with your family when you, when you were doing other things. And just, just blast you and torment you with that. In, in, the, in the waning days and moments of your life. Our growth in the life God has for us is dependent upon our ability to recognize the difference between what is important and what is not. The difference between what is spirit and what is flesh. The difference between what is eternal and what is temporary. The difference between what will matter a hundred years from now and what won't matter at all 24 hours from now. Listen, maybe I'm the only one, but I sure have gotten caught up in, in the moment of situations and, and that whole thing's not going to make a hill of beans 24 hours from now when we could have instead been focused on something that would have been making a difference a thousand years from now. Our growth, some could call it discernment, some could judgment. There's different words that the Bible uses, focus, priorities, what have you. But again, it really does, brother, sister, it really does come back to this right here. We only have 24 hours in a day. We only have so many emotions, so much energy, so much time, so many resources. I'm not saying God won't increase those. Yes, He will. But again, the bottom line of it is, what are we giving our lives to? What are we giving our lives for? 
What are we expending ourselves upon and our energies and days and time upon? This was where Paul found himself making these kinds of assessments. Evaluating his priorities. I mention this frequently both here and in classes. Three key areas, right? Morals, values, relationships. This is from Michael Dye, wrote the Genesis process. Morals, values, relationships. Morals is what's is doing what's right. Values is what's important. And then, of course, growing in relationships. So vitally key. So vitally key to our lives. Now, obviously you say, well, pastor, you know, morality, I'm, I'm a pretty moral person. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm not belittling that. And obviously relationships is one of the key areas where, you know, the, Satan tries to interrupt our lives and affect us negatively. But I think it's that middle one right there, values, where we're growing in our ability to recognize what really does matter and what doesn't, what really is worth several hours of our time per week and what's not, what we could be doing instead of what we've been doing that would make a difference both in our own lives and families and in the lives and families of other people. Praise God. Singers, musicians, if you would, please come. So when Paul used the word excellence in verse number 8, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ there is that progressive, growing relationship, oneness, fellowship. But it's that word excellence there. It almost defies translation. It almost defies defining. And that's why we see such a lengthy portion of the Amplified Version devoted to it. Excellence is translated as the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen. 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 Stand with me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Are you connecting with this? Are you getting anything out of this? I've, I've said this once before. This, this has been one of the most, I don't want to say challenging, I'm, I'm certainly enjoying teaching it, but it's one of the most different, as the best word I know how, to say um, areas that we've ever spent this much time on. And I'm going to tell you what I believe is at least part of it. <clears throat> it's spiritual warfare. The enemy does not want us to hear this. The enemy does not want us to commit ourselves to this. The enemy does not want us to join in with the Apostle Paul and make knowing him our determined purpose in life. Wow. I'm telling you, that's the case. You say, well, why would the enemy not want that? Well, look at what Paul did to him because it became his determined purpose. In other words, it is the supreme advantage. It is the priceless privilege. But Jesus is the key to everything. You do understand that, right? 
was a great day in my life when I realized there's nothing I could give him that he doesn't, that's not already his. I mean, it's, he created it all. He created me, the breath in my lungs. It's all him. It's all by him. It's all through him. It's all for him. Amen. He is the key to it all. And he has made himself available to you. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you this morning. For every person in this room, I thank you, Father, for their lives. I thank you for the families that they represent. Father, you're a God of household salvation. Lord, what you do in the life of one family member, you want to do in the life of every member of that family for generation after generation to come. And Father, I thank you for men and women standing in this room today. They have started a, a completely different family heritage, family legacy, Father, one of faith, one of righteousness, one of holiness and godliness, prosperity, healing, deliverance, Lord. In other words, you through them are changing their family dynamic and family tree. And we thank you for that, Father. Now, Lord, there's all kinds of things that we can give ourselves to. All kinds of things in life for us to pursue and go after. And Father, this isn't to say that it's wrong to have hobbies or other interests, certainly. Lord, you want to share in those hobbies with us. You want to, you want to be right there in the middle of those interests, Lord. Other things that, that, that we may be involved in in life. But the key, Lord, is to put you first. To seek you first in all things. To seek your kingdom first and your way of being and doing right in all things. To recognize that you are the prize of overwhelming worth. Father, I believe there's a little bit of treasure hunter in all of us because there's a desire in all of us to seek you and know you and grow in our understanding of you and in our relationship with you. Father, help us all to really take that long look at our lives, Lord. To evaluate what we're giving ourselves to. And Lord, that we would ask ourselves some simple questions about the value and real importance of those things. Father, I'm excited because this is, where, this is where change springs forth. This is where lasting growth and transformation, Lord, springs forth from these kinds of assessments in our life. So, Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us. Open our eyes to areas of childishness. Show us areas where maybe we thought we had welcomed you in wholeheartedly, but really we've kept you at a distance in those areas of our lives. May we surrender it to you this morning. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing together before we're dismissed. If you'd like to come and pray, these altars are open. We'd be more than happy to pray with you here. But let's not just... Amen. In other words, let's try to stay focused here for just another minute or two and especially give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do in our hearts and lives what only He can do. Amen. Amen. Let's sing it.